Um, we, as you have known, we have been going through the Ten Commandments. And Bill and I were sitting in the office one day. He goes, you know, we should bring in some people to speak. And I said, you know, my dad does a great job on the Ten Commandments. It's one of my favorite things that, that he's preached on. And he said, great, I'll give him a call. Gave him a call. And then I was talking to my mom two weeks ago, Mom. Two weeks ago, and she said, Dad's already preparing. And I told him that he's not allowed to tell any stories. I said, oh, and Dad's response was, I can do what I want, right? <laughs> and I said, oh, that's interesting. What stories he's going to tell? I wasn't really thinking. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me on like a Friday afternoon. I was sitting in my office, and I realized, oh, Billy asked him to speak on honor thy father and mother. What <laughs> a great idea. So today there is a possibility that you might hear two sermons. His, and then my sister and I are going to take a turn afterwards, just in case there might be anything we need to correct. So um, would you please welcome my dad as he shares the word. Matt, okay, thank you. Praise the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto all of you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me find out where. uh, As most of you know, the Lord gave us the Ten Commandments in uh, the 20th chapter of Exodus. But actually, in a sense, the Lord begins the commandments in the 19th chapter of Exodus, where he says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And then in the 20th chapter of Exodus, before he lists any of the commandments, he writes this. I am the one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The Lord had saved the people of Israel. He delivered them. And now he's showing them how to live. Not to be saved, but because they already saved, but how to live in this life of deliverance that he's given them. God was interested in Israel's deliverance, in Israel's salvation, but he was also interested in their destiny. Uh, He gives the commandments to protect and to advance the life of those that he saved. He gives the commandments to protect and uh, advance the lives of those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And You can't violate them and survive. The commandments do not bring life to you, but they advance life and protect life for those who are in Jesus. And you can't violate them and continue to survive. Most of you are familiar with Calvin and Hobbes, uh, the little comic strip. Uh, Calvin is... uh, a young boy who has a vivid imagination. And Hobbes is a little 12-inch stuffed tiger. And Calvin envisions Hobbes as being alive. And he talks with him, and he plays with him. And one of the comic strips, Calvin is writing on a piece of paper, and Hobbes comes in and says, Calvin, what are you doing? And he says, I'm making a a picture. I'm making a, a beautiful picture. And uh, Hobbes says, it doesn't look like much of a picture to me. And Calvin says, well, it says in the directions that if you connect the numbers when you get done, you're going to have a beautiful picture. 
And Hob says, you have made a mess, Calvin. You only get a, a beautiful picture if you connect the numbers in sequence. And Alvin becomes very angry, and he grits his teeth, and he takes that piece of paper, and he rips it up, and he yells, rules, rules, rules. <laughs> and that seems to be uh, the mindset of, of our society concerning the numbers that God gives us. But God says, if you connect those numbers, if you connect those numbers, you'll have a beautiful picture. He, he, he gives us the commandments not to uh, put us in a jail, so to speak, but to free us. Uh, you violate the commandments, and God says you're going to bring death in various forms. Uh, you can't survive and violate them. You violate them, and they'll suffocate your life, but not only your life. They'll suffocate the lives of those who are around you. And I believe it, that's why confession is so important, what we did this morning, where we come to the Lord and we say, examine me, Lord. Show me anything that's in my life that's suffocating it. But not only suffocating it, but I'm passing this down to my children and to my grandchildren. Lord, by the movies I watch, by my anger, by my jealousy, by my unforgiveness, by the things and the lusts that go on in my life, in my mind. Lord, show me. I confess them as sin that I don't want them. Not only cleanse me or forgive me of that, but Lord, cleanse me of all that surrounds what I have given myself. And he does. And I believe that what the Lord tells us in the middle of the first commandment, and I'll mention that in a second, applies to uh, all of the commandments and applies to this one that we're sharing on this morning, honor your father and your mother. That This little section of scripture applies to all of the commandments. Especially, I believe, this one. And the words are in Exodus 24 to 6. I, the Lord your God, is a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. We need to know that God is not addressing unbelievers when he gives this word. He's addressing, as I said before, believers, those who have been saved, those who have been delivered from uh, the Egyptians. And he, say, he says, I'm a jealous lover. And I, I can't be dispassionate when it comes to you. I hate it when I see you walking away from me in any degree. I, I can't stand it. When you move me out of first place in your life, out of your life into a place where, where I can't show you my love fully, where I can't give you the life that I want to give you, that I can't do for you what I want to do for you. I hate it. I can't stand it. And when he says, sins of the fathers upon the third and fourth generation of those that hate me, 
He's saying, I want you to, to clearly know that it's not your life. It's my life. I can do with it as, it, as I want. No, 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 the Lord says. It's your choice. And the choices you make have tremendous, incredible fallouts. The choices you make not only affect you with destruction of some sort or another, maybe small in the beginning, but it affects those who are around you. You know, you're not surprised when you see that your children have some of your physical resemblance, the eyes, the height, the looks. Uh, the Edelstons are known uh, for their noses. You're not surprised when you see these things, but there's also a spiritual part of that. Uh, you don't just say it's my life because when you sin and break the law, the law that protects your life and advances your life, it's transmitted to the next generation and a generation after that and a generation after that. You know, he says the third and fourth generation, people at that time lived to 100, 120 years of age. And the average age of the persons to which uh, uh, the, the Lord was speaking was the fourth generation. And he says, what God is saying basically is not that I'm going to take it out on your children. If you sin, I'm going to take it out on your children. But what he's saying, and your grandchildren, what he's saying is, I don't want you to transmit these things to your children. I don't want you to transmit them to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. And not only that, I don't want to have to see you seeing that, seeing your children, grandchildren, so forth, with the same destructive thing in their life and saying to yourself, oh, no, they're doing exactly what I did. And so are my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. Uh, but praise the Lord, he continues, and uh, he says, my mercy is unto thousands of those that love me and keep my commandments, that were not destined to a hopeless destiny because there is forgiveness. Not only is there forgiveness, but there can be a severing of all of the garbage that's connected with any of the sins in our life. Judgment goes to the third and fourth generation, but mercy and forgiveness continues into eternity. And these words from the middle of the first commandment apply and reaches to those who have not walked in this fourth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. And then Ephesians puts a little flesh and blood on it when it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. What a promise. A uh, promise of a long life and a fruitful life. And we ask the Lord, now what's the condition for this fantastic promise? And he says there's only one condition. Honor your father and your mother. 
You see, there's woven into the fabric of a universe a law, a law that says you cannot dishonor your mother and your father and realize fruitfulness. You can't dishonor your parents and experience the fullness of life that I want for you. Life is diminished, whether you know it or not, when you dishonor your mother and your father, or allow dishonoring to take place without doing something about it, without some correction. And it opens at least two issues that we have to be resolved. One, what does it mean to honor your mother and your father? And what does it mean that uh, parents have a requirement to bring about this honoring in their children to them? Well, first, honor your father and your mother. You just don't know what they've done to me. The brutality, the selfishness, and worst, they were never there. How can I honor a father who I have seen that has beat my mother to a bloody pulp? How can I honor someone who has violated me? How do I honor someone that comes home drunk every night and abuses us? Well, not physically, but in words all the time. How can I honor them? Well, that's a, a very valid question. And the Bible gives us an answer. And what the Bible says is, honor them. Honor them. Well, how? How can I honor parents like that? And I believe there's two, at least two, but uh, basic things that we can honor about our parents, no matter who they are, no matter how dishonorable they may be. In North Carolina, during the early stages of my ministry, during my first pastor's class, there was a young boy by the name of Tommy Lane who came to the class. He had just started dating. He was an older boy. He was in his you know, late 20s. Uh, he was dating one of the girls from our church, and he came to this class. Uh, and we got to this commandment, and he raised his hand, and he said, Pastor, uh, how am I going to honor my father and mother? My father left while my mother was pregnant with me. And I've never seen him. I know who he is, but I have never seen him. And my mother, she did not want me. She had me, but she didn't want me. She kept passing me along to aunts and cousins, anyone who would raise me, who would uh, take care of me. And when I got to be about 16 or 17, I was out on my own because she didn't want me. At the time, I didn't know what to say to her. But how can I honor them? Well, now I could say, one, you can honor them because they were the vehicles that God used to give you life. And you can honor them because of their humanness. You know, now, Many of you here probably this morning were raised in non-Christian homes. 
some of you went to church uh, every Sunday. But you never came into a relationship with Jesus. You knew all about him. You know, especially if you're Lutherans, you went through confirmation class, you knew all about him, but you never received him. And some of you, in all probability, were dishonorable parents or dishonorable children. Some may be so dishonorable that they would never share with anybody else what they did and said. But as unbelieving or as dishonorable as they may be, Jesus had them in mind when from the cross he said, Father, forgive them. All of you who were non-believers, all of you that may be dishonorable parents, it was from the cross that Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. And praise the Lord by the power of God's Holy Spirit. God gave you forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. He called you his own because you bowed your knee. You bowed your knee to Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And now you need to honor those parents, not only because they brought you into the world, but for their humanness. No matter how dishonorable they may be. You know, it's kind of strange that we don't see our parents the way others see our parents. We often just see our parents by, by what they did to us or what they didn't to us. We don't see them as people who received in all probability exactly what they did to us or didn't do to us. It became part of them. And God says you'll never be free. You'll never be free to live fully or fruitfully until you come to the point of willingly honor your father and your mother, not just because they brought you into the world, but because they need understanding and they need forgiveness. And you're right that when you list the unjust things that parents may have done, or wrong things that they may have done. And some of them are, are pretty gross. But the Lord says, you, you were wrong when, it, when you thought that it was in your realm to dishonor them. And Jesus confronts us, and he says to us, you can't get away with that because the whole idea of judging them, judging these very dishonorable parents of yours, is not yours to resolve. Yours is to let God deal with it. And you are called to forgive because you have been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now there's a flip side to this issue. And Paul addresses it in Ephesians when he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Let me say that again. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. God's order for children is that they obey. God has placed within children this whole idea of obeying. They may not know that, but that's what God has placed within them. And Ephesians 6, 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And Colossians 3, 20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. If people understand this, if they agree with it, that their children are to obey them, that it's good, that it's right, that it's necessary, they need to relate to their children in such a way that will bring this about in their lives together. And I believe it begins, it starts with bringing them to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I believe it begins by parents bringing their children to Jesus, not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing Jesus. To live in Jesus around them, but also to share them, and if need be, and probably rightly so, bringing them to Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. And with the presence of Jesus in them, they'll begin to truly honor their parents. But I believe there's more. Sharing with our children about Jesus is critically important because that brings life. And it brings eternal life. When everything else will pass away, their education, their own children, their mothers and their fathers, their nice homes, when everything passes away, the only thing they're going to have left is salvation and eternal life with Jesus. But there's more. Share with children and lead them into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Scripture, when talking about believers, two believers, says don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We see power. He's talking to believers. He says, I've got more. That that spirit that is within you will just come forth. I want to fill you with the Holy Spirit. It's not an optional extra for believers. It's part of their makeup. Uh, it's normal Christianity. Scripture is filled with it. In the Gospels, of course, but all through the book of Acts, I think there are six separate stories about believers individually and collectively who are brought into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And my favorite is found in Acts uh, 19. And it is my favorite because I think it's so true about, uh, about us. And uh, I, I don't know if this is a uh, primary uh, Lutheran group, but, uh, uh, but not knowing about we know the word. But who is the Holy Spirit? This is what, what it says in the 19th chapter of Acts. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior region until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. And he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No reply. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked. And they replied, well, the baptism of John. 
And Paul said, well, John baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were baptized with water. Then, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. I believe that the Lord, in saying, do not provoke the children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline of the Lord, these are two of the areas that I think the Lord says, this is what I want from my parents, from my mothers and my fathers. Proverbs 22, 6 says, says, train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. Not demand obedience or honor, but to train them. Children need to be trained in the Lord. Uh, They need to be corrected. The Bible does not look upon children as basically good. Psalm 51, 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Not talking about the sexual acts, it's, it's talking about coming into the world was sinful. And Genesis 8.21 says, The imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. And even science says this. The First International Congress on Mental Hygiene writes this. All children, if they were free to respond to instinctive impulses, would act as criminals. People are born criminals. Every baby a perfect gangster, limited only by physical feebleness, Symptoms of sin in every infant must be taught everything decent and good. We smile because we know it's so true. And the Lord calls us as parents to deal with it. To deal with it for our own well-being, but especially for the child's well-being. If it's not dealt with, it'll become worse and worse and the consequences will become worse and worse. When they are disrespectful, when they're out of order in small ways or in large ways, uh, they need to be brought back into order immediately. The consequences must come immediately. I believe one of the most disrespectful words that come from the lips of of children, small children, but also teenagers, a word that is often laughed at, a uh, word that's often allowed by parents, is the word no. No. It's so disrespectful. And it, it doesn't need to be laughed at or just passed by, but it needs to be corrected immediately. Uh, David uh, Wilkinson, in his book, The Cross and the Switchblade, says this. No begging, no thinking it's cute, no pleading, no reasoning, no putting it off, but immediately discipline in love. And this goes for the big and the small. And in many ways, it'll bring peace to your home and to the child. Discipline. A disciplined child is a secure child because he's living in the obedience that God has placed in him. You know, you've heard that old saying, you're just asking to be spanked. Oh, no, I'm not asking to be spanked, Mom and Dad. But yes, they are, in a sense. 
because they're out of the order that God has placed within them. Scripture says, don't provoke them to anger. We provoke children to anger, which is a form of, of dishonor, when we're inconsistent in our discipline. We provoke them in anger when the discipline doesn't come from the love of Jesus in our hearts towards them, that we love them so much that we're going to do something which we rather not do. Discipline them, whatever that means for you in a type of discipline. And discipline occurs when uh, 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 provoking them to anger comes about when the discipline doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And discipline is supposed to break a child in that particular area. Let me illustrate. We have uh, one of our children. We were sitting around and watching television one night. Uh, it wasn't Matt because he was just a baby at the time. And uh, we were all sitting in various chairs. And one of them did something bad. And I forget what it was. And I said, okay, young lady, uh, you come with me. And we went to the bedroom. We never disciplined our children in front of the other children. Uh, and uh, I gave a couple of good smacks on the rear end. Uh, and then we prayed together. And we asked, she asked for forgiveness. And I went back into the room and sat in my chair. And she came in. She came in huffing and puffing. Oh, she was mad. She was mad. And she plopped herself down in the chair, put her arms across her. Uh, I said, young lady, let's, let's get up. We're going back in the bedroom. He said, oh, no, you've already spanked me, and I've already asked Jesus to forgive me. And I said, well, that's not enough. And we went back. I gave her a few more smacks. Uh, and then I went that out back into the living room. And a couple of seconds later, she came back. She came and she sat on my lap. She cuddled with me. And for the next two weeks, uh, she was just an honored child. Well, you see, she was in God's order. She was in God's order. But there's one other thing. Forgiveness needs to flow in honor of parents, but it also needs to flow in honor of children. Because parents make mistakes, a lot of mistakes. Uh, they make wrong decisions, more commands. I have provoked my children to anger in so many ways by things I've said and things that I've done. And that needs to be corrected and confessed, not only to God, but to the children. Dad did something wrong. And not only the little kids, but also teenagers. Uh, um, we should never hesitate to confess any sins on the part of parents to children in, in the belief that, well, if we do, that's going to undermine my authority. No, it won't. That's a lie of Satan that will under, uh, undermine your, your authority. It will enhance your authority. It will confirm your authority. When things go wrong like that, we, we, uh, we tend to hesitate because we ask, what will our children say? 
if we confess our own sins before them. Uh, the question rather should be, what, what would God think? What would God think if we try to hide it or bluff it out? God honors open repentance and forgiveness in a child, but also in parents. The children and parents. The way around the garbage and the junk that comes into our families by dishonoring our parents is answered by forgiveness. Forgiveness on the parents' part and forgiveness on the child's part. And the way to a fruitful and a long life comes from honoring our mothers and our fathers and from parents who train up their children in the way they should go. And just two quick closing notes. If you have dishonored your parents and they're still alive, think about, and it's been such that it becomes a, a sore point in your relationship. Think about going to them, asking them for forgiveness. Now, if they're dead, come to the Lord and ask the Lord to forgive you. you know, deal with it in your life if you know it's true. Come to the Lord and ask the Lord to forgive you for the dishonoring that took place in your life towards your parents who happen to be dead. And if they have dishonored you and they are dead, bring them to your mind's eye and say, Dad, I forgive you. Or Mom, I forgive you. And one final note, which is so vital for today. Luther says, and rightly so, that this commandment not only has to do with honoring your physical parents, but it has to do with honoring all those who are in authority, uh, religious authorities, uh, civil authorities. We can disagree with them, and we need to if they're wrong, even vehemently, but we are to honor them, whether it's your pastor, uh, whether it's your school teachers, whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's Obama, whether it's Pence, whether it's Bill and Hillary Clinton, whether it's the Bushes, you need to honor them. If you don't, it's a sin. And there will be consequences that will flow through you to others, whether you know it or not. And the Lord says, honor your father and your mother that it may be well with you and that you might live long on this earth. Amen. Lord, we thank you that you have given us not only parents, some are very dishonorable and some are not, but all are sinful beings. And Lord, may we live as people who honor those in authority, no matter who they are, 
disagreeing with them perhaps, but honoring them. For Lord, not only it's good, but Lord, it's not passed on down to the next generation. And Lord, not only is it good, but it brings a goodness to our lives. It brings a peace to our lives. It brings a peace to our children to honor their mother and their father. And Lord, we just give you ourselves and we thank you that, Lord, that Jesus in us desires to honor all of those who are in authority, but especially, Lord, to our mom and dad. And Lord, we just give you ourselves now in the precious name of Jesus who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.